Right, dude, it's Mike. How are we doing? <clears throat> no, bad, mate. Not bad at all. Um, just doing this um, a podcast advert for Liam. You know, the Punks in Pubs podcast we're going to uh, uh, yes, yes, yes. email about. What, what do you reckon we, uh, we do for it? Well, I mean, just basically promote all the sites. I mean, you've got the Facebook. Uh, what was it again? The uh, the full? Oh, Facebook.com forward slash uh, The Awkward Punks. Or just... Yeah, you know, you made it awkward by following The Awkward Punks. Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah, one. really um, just search on just The Awkward on Facebook. You'll find us there. Of course, yeah. I mean, you've got YouTube as well. YouTube. And the Awkward Punks on there as well. Oh, yeah, definitely, yeah. Wait, 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 not now, guys. Not now. I mean, that, that, that would be a good one for Instagram. I mean, that's also the awkward punks on there. But I need to toilet. Not now. Okay. <laughs> what the hell's oh, he up to, fucking weirdo? Anyway, uh, I think, yeah. Uh, yeah. Twitter, Instagram, and uh, at yeah, the awkward well, yeah. punks. Yeah. And if you want the music, you know, get in touch. Yeah, cool. Uh, awesome, man. I'll uh, I'll send this on to Liam, and uh, we'll put, do I put a, uh, play a track after it. What, what do you reckon we do? The awkwards. Why are you looking at me? I got a plan. I think, I think, there's, I think there's only one one we can do here. I got a plan. Ah. Wait, I'm dying. He's not. He's not. I'm just, just put him out of misery. I got a plan. Right, cool. Right, I'll, right, I'll do it, dude. See you later. In a bit.
my name is Liam Bird and this is the Punks in Pubs podcast. Thank you for checking us out. Before we get on with episode 56, I want to tell you about a very exciting project I'm going to be part of on June the 6th via Facebook Live. So pre-COVID, on 6th of June, I was meant to be sharing the stage at the world-famous 100 Club in London talking to petrol girls Ren, Crass's Steve Ignorant, Deke from Oi Polloi, Ali and Gareth from In Evil Hour, and George from Propagandi, where we're going to come together on behalf of Punk Ethics uh, for their benefit show that we're putting on at the 100 Club called Punks Against Sweatshops. It was going to be an evening where we're going to raise money for labour unions and to try and improve welfare conditions for people who make merch and t-shirts for people like yourself and me. But obviously, COVID-19 has completely fucked that up, so that is no longer happening. But Jay, who is one of the collective members of Punk Ethics, decided that he want to move it all online. Uh, so on June the 6th at 6pm GMT on Facebook Live on the Punk Ethics Facebook Live page, I will be talking to Ren, Steve, Deke, Ali, Gareth and George about what I believe to be one of the biggest taboo subject matters in music, and that is sweatshops in the industry Uh, a link to that event is in the program description of this podcast so make sure you come hang out with us on the 6th of june at 6 p.m on the punk ethics facebook live page Uh, links are also on the punks in pubs social media pages at punks in pubs again 6th of june at 6 p.m on facebook live come hang out with us and see us talk about a very important subject matter. Now let's talk about episode 56 that took place in August 2019 in beautiful Slovenia at Punk Rock Holiday. My guest for episode 56 is Teenage Bottle Rockets bass player and all-round good guy Miguel. Funny story about my interview with Miguel, it was not planned, not planned at all. I thought I was going to be talking to Ray, who is of course the lead vocalist of the band Teenage Bottle Rocket. So a little inside baseball here, when you go and arrange to go and do interviews at festivals, the festivals like to control the, the, the interview booking. So normally I would go and book the interviews myself, but when you go to a festival, you have to go through the festival press team. So in advance, I gave them my wish list um, and I got a reply back saying, yep, Ray from Teenage Bar Rocket is all, all booked in at this time. Make sure you're at the press room. Fantastic. I rock up to the press room 10 minutes early because you can never be late if you're early and I set up and in front of me comes Miguel. Now, I didn't prep for Miguel. I prepped for Ray and I am not a good presenter, guys, so I need to prep to make this podcast just about listenable uh, for you guys to try and enjoy. So Miguel is sat in front of me and I had absolutely no prep for him, so I pulled this interview out my ass and ladies and gentlemen, I like to say I did a fucking good job. It's fun because Miguel just played along, was very open, very honest with my questions. And if he thought I was pulling this interview out my ass, he was such a gent for just kind of uh, not calling me out on it. So thank you to Miguel if he is listening to this. Right, so what do we chat about? Well, Miguel talks about his DIY roots 
as he was putting on shows at his home city uh, in the state of Wyoming. A scene that Miguel played a massive part in, and he's also the place whereabouts he met uh, the brothers Ray and Brandon, who would go on to create Teenage Bar Rocket. Miguel talks about making that step from uh, being the band's merch guy to eventually coming on stage as the new bass player in the band and he never looked back but ironically in this interview we do look back uh, because Miguel reveals his first band and they were called but fucking America great band and there may have been some horns Miguel reveals two tragic deaths that happened in his family at a young age that kind of lit a fire under him to go and explore the world and do everything that he possibly can do to enjoy life Uh, that took him through a path of some drinks some drugs but eventually he's found a world of zen whereabouts right now he's probably meditating and doing yoga we of course talk about the band teenage bar rocket in particular signing to red scare and being the first band to make that jump from red scare to fat which seems to be the way for most of red scares bands right now uh, i'll be back after our chat to wrap a few things up but until then enjoy episode 56 with teenage bottle rockets miguel So we are at Punk Rock Holiday and it is fucking hot, man. Uh, and in front of me, we're in the pressure area, which hope I think it's air conditioned, I'm not sure. Uh, and in front of me is Miguel from Teenage Bottle Rocket. Have you had the chance to look around yet? Or have you oh, yeah. just turned up? First thing I did when we parked was walk down to the river. Did you go in? No. <laughs> Why not? I jumped in a river in uh, Zurich last night. Yeah. And the temperature was like so perfect and so like... That's the that's the river memory I want to take away from this tour. This that river cold. is it's fucking freezing. cold, man. I did it one year and like yeah, yeah. my my outie went into an innie like instantly. Yeah, it's insane. It's so cold. You you've just what you've been here been here a couple of hours. Yeah, maybe three. So how where did you drive from Zurich? Zurich. So how was that drive? Because when you drive through Europe, if you're coming through like if you're coming from the UK, like you say, you just been to Rebellion, and you're coming through Belgium and then France, it is a boring drive. There's nothing there. But when you like hit the like the Austria area, all of a sudden you realise, oh shit, there's actually this is really beautiful. And uh, <laughs> I'll tell I'll tell you what, we drive overnight. We're like in a nightliner or whatever. Yeah. So for me, the difference is when we're driving into Slovenia. It's so like windy and curvy with the mountains that I can't sleep as much. Oh, really? <laughs> you don't see it as like a rocky motion when you were a kid. Yeah, it's it's more just like oh, I hope I don't get knocked out of my bunk <laughs> right now. <laughs> but 
It is really gorgeous. It's beautiful. Well, like you said, Austria too. It's, yeah, yeah, it's impressive. It's stunning, and like, for I think for Brits as well, as as the world renowns of trying to get as far as from Europe as possible because we're politically fucking stupid. Yeah, uh, so are Americans. It's fine. Yeah, I know. It's, it's kind of I that get it. Hold your beer moment. Where yeah, yeah. We did Brexit. And you're like, fuck. We'll get. We'll get Trump. Don't worry. No. It's. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so uh, thanks for chatting to me, Miguel. So. Um, what would be great is if uh, we'll talk about Teenage Bottle Rocket in a second. But what I kind of want to know is a little bit about yourself and how how you got into music. So, like, were you brought up in quite a musically inclined family, or is it something that you kind of you've taken on yourself? Yeah, um, my mom was like super musical. She she played piano her whole life. She's always singing in like choir and like groups. And probably when I was like seven she got me a guitar and started me on lessons hmm. played saxophone in junior high and high school did you do a ska band i did very briefly have an embarrassing <laughs> ska band um i didn't play saxophone in it though i played no? guitar yeah and then then we got rid of the horns and then we were just a punk band that was awful but anyway but why yeah. why do you think people kind of go away from the horn like a lot of bands like might, might start off a bit scary like first band I think of is the Flatliners who started off kind of like a ska band yeah and then dropped the horns very quickly and became what was like known as a punk band in my life it was like a few things like one like saxophone kind of became like this thing like I had to do I had to like practice or whatever and like go to school and do it and like at one point I was offered like a full ride scholarship to go to college playing saxophone but Mm. like I'd been doing fucking marching band and shit it was just a nightmare. Like, <laughs> so I didn't want anything to like really do with that. I wanted like music to like be like a fun thing and not school or work. And the other thing I think like I don't know, a lot of it's just so like fucking cheesy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like it's cool you're like 13 or 14 and then like you get a little older and you realize like many of these bands it's just fucking cheesy. <laughs> And, like, you know, granted, like, there are some, some outliers, obviously, and there's, like, some really great bands. Like, Voodoo Glow Skulls, to this day, are, like, one of my favorite bands. Mm. It just, it wasn't something that, like, held on to me so much. Like, this is the music I want to play. Yeah. But also, in the band that you're in, you, like, Scar and Punk kind of get put on the same bill together. Like, Less Than Jake played yesterday, headlining. But then you've got them, like, compared, like, I think on that night was sick of it all before them. Yeah. So he's like such a weird bill of sick of it all, which is one of the, like for me one of the greatest bands out yeah. there still going. And then Less Than Jake, who I think are great, but it, it, like I haven't heard anything new. That's- Sonically, very different bands, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think our band kind of, I don't want to say like the middle, but like we ride somewhere in like like really sort of like classic what we think of classic punk rock, mm. and like there's elements sort of like what a band like Less Than Jake would do where it's like like lots of melodies and lots of like vocals and you know has to be kind of catchy yeah but there's also like elements of something like Sick of It All where it's like play this fucking fast and play it fucking hard yeah you know so we exist somewhere in there and I, I kind of think it's a path the Ramones kind of like blazed out like 
you know? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, and Ramones is obviously a band that, you, that gets kind of tagged on to Teenage Bottle Rocket a lot. But just because I think it's just a fun band to watch. And it's just like the energy of just going to a fucking great party show. You know you're going to have a fun time. You've got beer in hand. Fucking slice of pizza. Have fun, man. And just, just go with it. That, Absolutely, man. Um, so you, t- you spoke about being in a, in, in a uh, marching band. We don't really have that in the UK. So can you kind of explain what our marching band is? Yeah. So if you're in band in like junior high or high school or college even, like an orchestral band, you yeah. know, like horns or, or jazz band or whatever, you often have to do what's called marching band. And basically they put you in these like monkey suits. They're like really like... Like, ours was, like, purple with, like, these big white frills. and <laughs> Anyhow, and then you have to go play at, like, all the high school football games or, or like, march in parades, and, and it's the worst. Did you, did you enjoy sports? Is that something you, you, you enjoyed? Or Not really, like, man. No. I, I just kind of wanted to play guitar and, like, <laughs> ride around on my PMX bike, you know. It was... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, as an adult, like, I, I love, love, love baseball. Like, I go to every game that I can. Who's your team? Texas Rangers. Yeah. I'm not going to even pretend to know who they are. That's all good. <laughs> it's all good, man. Dallas-Fort Worth, Texas. Is, is that where you grew up then? Is, like, Texas? I live in Texas now. Um, I grew up in Wyoming. And uh, my dad moved down to Texas maybe 15 or 16 years ago. Mm. And uh, I just moved down there earlier this year, finally. Because that, that's a big jump from Wyoming, which is a very mountainous, like, wide life, and then going to Texas, which, as a, an ignorant Brit, sounds like it's just fucking cowboys and Indians. Yeah. Uh, hot I sauce. mean, both places, if you think about it, kind of have a reputation yeah. for, like, cowboy kind of stuff. But um, it's, it's really different, like... Wyoming's kind of, if you're into going outdoors, like you like fishing or skiing or hunting, like it's like the greatest place on earth mm. to be. And I don't like any of that shit. So, <laughs> <laughs> so Texas is more like there's just stuff to do and, and like a lot of different cultures, um, you know, definitely cowboys and stuff, but also like... Dallas, Texas has, like, a huge, awesome punk rock scene. Mm. And, like, the tattoo scene there is great. And, like, Mexican food rules. And, um, you know, I, I just had... My, my daughter just turned one. And I was thinking, you know, like, do I want her to grow up in Wyoming? Like, kind of bored like I was. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And with no family, mm. you know, because... I don't have any family left in Wyoming. Or do I want her to be down in Texas? Like, she's near grandpa, and and there's all this stuff to do, and yeah. Yeah, I mean, and also, it's kind of like, I'm going to guess, because your child's going to grow up in, in, a, in a musical background, because I'm guessing Absolutely. at a certain point, you're going to take her on tour and, and like, bring her out to show. So Absolutely. kind of being around that already is kind of getting her ready to, to embrace different kinds of music and stuff. So with that in mind, then, what was the music scene like in Wyoming growing up? Was it, like, non-existent, or were bands passed through that area? You know, like, uh, surprisingly, Laramie, Wyoming had like a really good vibrant punk scene um it kind of comes and goes Mm. in cycles actually and it would always be like every few years there'd be some new like 
a group of like college kids that moved into town that were like super into it and things would be really good and then they would all graduate and leave and things would go back and like not be that good yeah but like throughout it all like our group of friends like teenage bottle rocket and um like the hickey house which means nothing to you but there was like <laughs> you know we were there the whole time we were like the local ones who were really kind of pushing to make things happen and over the years like you know we convinced a lot of bands to to stop by laramie wyoming and play like you know we had like the dwarves against me mass intruder voodoo glow skulls like fugazi played laramie a couple times all you know like really something respectable and that i feel proud about yeah um so were you put on shows yourself then oh yeah absolutely like uh one of our guys jd who's like our merch guy back in the states i'd say in the last 10 years he's done like 75 percent of like the the punk rock shows in the area you know and we we would just kind of piece together everyone's pa systems and like eventually we just had places for people to play and like and contacts and bands who like wanted to stop by on their way to denver and yeah man so now that i'm gone you know there's a small part of me that like sees my friends back home and sees that there's not quite as much going on yeah it makes me a little sad but do you think that's something you want to do yourself like i know like it's a different beast oh fuck no 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 (laughs) (laughs) um so when was the first time then you started going okay i'm gonna fuck around with a band like was it teenage bottle rocket instantly or was it no no um when I was like 12, 13 or so, I, uh, me and my buddies decided we wanted to start a band. And like, I had like a classical guitar that my mom had given me. We were like, that's not going to work. And like, <laughs> at the same point in time, we'd all like started like dyeing our hair like green and blue and like cutting up our t shirts and stuff. And um, we were like, we came up with the name first. We're like, we're going to call it Butt Fuck America. <laughs> you know, these little, like, 12, 13-year-old kids. Yeah. And we're like, well, if we're going to be a band, we need, like, instruments. So, like, I walked around my junior high, like, asking people, like, basically begging for money. I was like, it's the Save America Fund. And, um, <laughs> and I raised, like, 80 bucks, bought this piece of shit Kramer guitar that I think still, like, stored in my attic. But, uh. Yeah, we started we started that band, and then like about a week into it, this one kid's mom said he couldn't be in the band unless we changed our name. <laughs> so we were no longer Buttfuck America. We we became Kilted Monarchs. We had horns for a little while, and then you know high school bands kind of come and go. I was yeah. in I was in another few bands after that, and uh, I was buddies with Ray and Brandon from this band because their old band Homeless Wonders they kind of took us kind of like under their wing and were trying to help us not suck so bad and uh, when I was like 19 I had this like uh, daycare van Hmm. that I'd bought for these imaginary tours that my band was going to go on but (laughs) never really did and uh, Bottle Rocket um, they were heading out I wasn't in the band yet but they needed they needed a van and someone to sell t-shirts so they grabbed me and it was 
Yeah, I was 19, and it was a lot of, like, 21-up venues. And uh, so it'd be, like, Ray would just hand me his ID to, like, get in. Yeah. So Ray would use his ID, go in, hand me his ID, go in. Then Brandon would walk in with his ID, and, you know, they were twin brothers. So, like, I'm surprised no one was like, why did the exact same person walk in <laughs> three times in a row just now? But but that worked, and then and then, like, a year and a half later or so, I would, uh, one of the guys, like, left the band to go pursue violin. Yeah, you do? Yeah. yeah. Touch on homeless wonder. Were, were, were that a band? Was that a band that were quite respected in Wyoming at the time? Like they were a band that was seen to look like it was going to move forward, than rather than just playing in their hometown. Yeah, I mean, in Laramie, especially, you know, we saw homeless wonders. We saw they were going on tour, and to us, it was the hugest thing in the world. Like we couldn't believe it. And then uh, the Lillingtons from up north in Wyoming, which was Cody's band. Um, you know, they'd gotten a record deal and they were going on tour with like the queers and stuff and like we just we couldn't believe it. It mm. was like the hugest thing in the world for us. Like, hey, there's bands from from where we're from and then, and they do stuff, so like we can do stuff too. And then lo and behold, like years later, like all of it just merged and it's like, you know, like who are the lifers and who, you know, the lifers ended up in this one band, and here we are, Teenage Bottle Rocket. <laughs> so like, you say you say lifers, but like your first taste of going on tour, I, I, I always talk about this because I, I think there's a lot of bands that fail at the first order because they have this idea of what tour is, and then they figure out it is not the fucking luxury life, life, lifestyle they're probably thinking about. So when you go on, when you when you first went on tour. What was the first thing that you went, fucking hell, this is shit? Or was it instantly like, this is amazing? Oh, dude, I was about like six hours out of Laramie, Wyoming, and I was like, if I needed to be home right this second, like if there was an emergency, fuck, I couldn't get home. <laughs> like, you know, like almost instant fucking panic attack. And then, and then by the show that night, it was fine. And like, I think I had like pretty low expectations. Yeah. I just thought it was cool that like you could take your band and play somewhere else and like, even if there was only like 20 or 30 kids at the time, it was like, holy shit. Yeah. This is, this is incredible. You know, now if we play a show, there's only 20 or 30 kids and we'll, <laughs> fuck. But. Why <laughs> <laughs> well, wrong? Yeah. Yeah. So, so you, you started out as a merch guy. I, I think because that is an underrated job, the merch person, because they're usually not getting paid by the band. They're living on tips. 
how did you survive that? Was it literally like bumming money off other people and just going, can I just have a bite of your food, please, mate? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, those things always took pretty decent care of me. Um, you know, it was like I didn't have anything else to do. I was still like living in my dad's basement. And um, so like whatever little bits of money like they could afford to throw my way, they did. And mm. like that was plenty for me. Other than that, it was like they were paying for all my food. Like I got to sleep on the floor in a hotel room, you know, like I didn't have anything better to do. Um, but that being said, like I did come from that. So like, I always think it's super important, like kind of taking care of the people that help take care of you. So like we, you know, our merch guys always get a percentage of the cow. We're always like, we want them to survive. And yeah. yeah, yeah I don't want to fucking well, yeah. sit at the merch tent, you know, and like, and they do. So like yeah. they deserve something, right? Definitely. So with, with your family, then you kind of said that you didn't really know what you wanted to do. Was your mom and your, your dad, were they like pushing you to go into like college or anything like that? Were they quite supportive? Um, so my mom was like super supportive of the band when I was first starting it. Yeah. You know, my dad, I don't think he quite got it, but he was fine with it. But um, I think they both kind of had this idea, like, I'd go to college and, you know, whatever. Mom was a little more loose about it, but um, she passed away when I was 16 years old. Oh, okay. And then, uh, like, seven months later, my, like, only sister was in a car wreck and died. Oh, mate, I'm sorry. And so right after that, you know, it kind of came like, hey, dad, you know, like, I was still in high school. I was like, I don't want to fucking do this anymore. And so, like, I dropped out of high school. My dad was kind of like, okay, but, you know, you're going to go get your, like, equivalency diploma. Mm. I did that in one afternoon. Took off with the band. And, like, in in between tours, like, I was going to university. Like, I, I ended up getting a business degree uh, business administration bachelor's from University of Wyoming, but it was always kind of like the back burner thing. And like, yeah. I think it was a lot of like after, you know, my mom and my sister passed away, my dad was a lot more like, you know, just kind of do what's going to make you happy. Like, I don't, I don't care what you do yeah. as long as you're happy. Was that your mantra then after those two tragic uh, circumstances was like fuck it like I just want to live my life as fullest as I possibly can because you never know what's going to happen it's it's kind of evolved in a couple ways but the basic premise has been that yeah like at first it was like a really angry kind of kind of nihilistic like like fuck it all mm. like fuck the world I'll do whatever I want and then you know um, over time it got, like, kind of self-destructive, like, a lot of fucking drugs and, like, just partying like a total idiot. And and then over time, I was kind of like, that's not really working. And I started getting really into, like, meditation and yoga. And, and like, I kind of struck a balance where the the background was still, like, you know, you have to do what you want in this life. But it was a lot less angry and it was a lot more of, like, a positive thing. Like, yeah. a lot more of, like all of us have this capacity to to make life what we want it to be yeah and and it's a really beautiful thing and and we should at the very least try 
And I don't want to get too personal, but you were, were you ever worried about when you were on tour and your dad being back in what? Uh, so did he move to Texas by then, or yeah, just gonna, like moving to Texas and then being on his own? Was there any part of you like, fuck, like I know I need to live my life for myself right now, but I need to also think about my dad. Yeah, I mean, we always had like a really really good relationship, and you know. Um, before he moved to Texas, he started dating, and and now he's married to her. Her name's Anne, and, and you know, she's got a kid. Um, I don't want to say he's like 26 or – anyhow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, I, I knew that, you know, he wasn't alone. So, so that was big, and that was important. And I also made it a point, like – and I still do. Like, I call him every week. Like, now, like, I see him every week. But, you know, when I was still up in Wyoming, we'd talk on the phone, you know, once or twice a week. And um, I always try to maintain, like, a really close relationship. I think really, like, part of the catalyst to, like, moving to Texas is, you know, now he's getting, like, a bit older. Yeah. And, um, you know, I I, I really want my daughter to, like, know her grandfather, you know, because... Because, like, it sucks that she won't know her grandma or her aunt, you know. And, uh... But my dad's still around, so... Make the most of it. While, while Absolutely. It, yeah, definitely. So when Teenage Bottle Rocket were start, what point was it? Was it that you joined? Were there already quite a lot of momentum around the band going, or was it at the really early point in two thousand? Yeah. So I remember when the first record, Another Way, came out on just like a local label. Like Brandon showed up with just boxes of them and flyers to hand around town. Like I'd go with them to like kind of helped spread the word i think i got like the very first copy i was gonna say you got the pink vinyls yeah because i had a a quick look on ebay to see how much they were going for and i think it was around about 100 pounds each oh wow so yeah 100 bucks i got (laughs) the very first you know and so like i was involved like from then like i remember when brandon told me like homeless wonders out teenage bottle rocket in and they did the seven inch and anyhow and you know i would i would always kind of like jam with them and then when i like really started touring with them was around when Total was coming out. Yeah. So that was kind of the first like, oh, there has been like a step up. Like this label Red Scare picked Toby up the band yeah. and yeah. you know, and like there was some momentum going. And then um yeah, the year after that came out is when I like became a member, started playing bass in the band and like we were on tour with the Epoxies who were like a fat records band and like it was another bit of like, oh, 
it's picking up and and we did warning device like the second record for red scare together and it was pretty quick after that record came out all of a sudden it was like fat records was was sniffing our butts mm. and and from there it just kind of so what is that process then because obviously a lot of bands seem to go from red scare to fat it's like red scare seemed to be the place where there's a lot of bands learn it's the like chops. the farm league yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then mike just takes them yeah just come over guys <laughs> i'll show you the way we, we were just talking about this yesterday too we're like teenage butter rocket has taken out like almost every red scare band on tour at some point so toby's still kind of like funneling them through us you know so we're we're a part of that family still um i we were the first band from red scare that that went on to fat you know and and we were like the third band on red scare Mm. and so in some ways, I think the process that we went through ended up kind of becoming the process a lot of other bands went through. Yeah. Um, it was, you know, put out this record here, hit the road as much as you can, catch a few support tours here and there, and, like, if you're kicking enough ass, someone else takes note. Hmm. And it happened with us for, for Fat Records. It happened with the Menzingers for Epitaph, you know. So did you know that Mike was sniffing around then, prior? Or was it something that just came out of the blue? No, uh, you know, we'd kind of talked about it a little, because, you know, Toby had worked at Fat prior to all of this. But it just kind of came up. It was, you know, maybe it's time time to move up. And, and yeah, Brandon called me, and he's like, hey, you know, Fat Mike's going to call, and he wants to talk about doing a record. And I was like fucking what <laughs> and the rest is history man you yeah. know because for me like a lot of people i think in the uk um we played on on the punk show was skate or die and yeah. instantly everyone just seemed to fucking love that track because it kind of reminded you of like a uh, just a fun party punk sound i think at a time where it wasn't that much fun in in the punk scene. absolutely and it, sorry no, that, it yeah, wasn't fun. No, it wasn't. Is fun. the right word? Yeah. yeah, and and we came into that record so like like this is our fucking chance. Like this is big. Like don't fuck it up. Mm. And and skate or die was actually like one of the last songs written for the record. Like Cody kind of like pulled it up last second, and we were like, holy shit, that's great. Like it has to be the first track, and that song like really like took us a long way you know i think it was just the perfect representation of like who we are and like what we want to do and like making skate a fucking threat again but like at the same time like making punk rock fucking fun again fun yeah yeah, yeah. yeah man so did you notice then when 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 you were about getting all businessy but like did you realize there's like a piece of the market of there's just no one here playing fun punk rock anymore we are going to be that band we're going to put our uh um flag down and say we're fucking here for fun now i i don't know that it was like such a like conscious thing as much as it was like we're not gonna fucking try to fit something that everybody else is doing hmm. like we thought about that we're like we're gonna fucking play what we want to play and and i think that this being true to like who we were and, and what we liked and and being in wyoming too we were kind of like far off from what was popular and what was going on in la or new york or whatever 
that that we had no choice. We were just like, this is music we love, and we're going to play it, and and it worked. Yeah. It's just like right band at the right time. This thought just came to me. I was, I was mentioning how we were like, this is a big chance. Let's not fuck it up. I don't know if you've ever seen the first pressing of They Came From The Shadows on vinyl. The spine says they came from the Chihuahuas. <laughs> And we, like, got that, and we were like, we're so fucking stupid. Oh, my God. <laughs> Was this someone's job to proofread it then, and you just kind of sent yeah, it Yeah, yeah, like, it got through, like, the label checked it, like, we checked it, nobody caught this. And then, like, you know, there's a few hundred copies of that record floating around. That's how you know you have an actual first pressing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Type errors. Yeah. Um, so you put out Freak Out as well in 2012 and Fat, and then you left to go to Rise. What was the reason for that? Was it just a case of Rise were, gonna, were willing to put in a bit more effort than what you felt Fat were at the time, or was it more of a conscious, we just want to try something different? Yeah, you know, I think... We'd seen a lot of growth in the band over the years, and definitely the growth between like Warning Device and Shadows was was huge. The growth between Shadows and Freak Out, like there was some growth, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't as dramatic. And so we we kind of thought like, well, what's the next step? Like, you know, obviously people who love fat records know our band and and we do great with this label how do we branch out a little bit more and that's about the time rise records came hmm. sniffing our butts and you know it was like uh, you know we're doing face to face we're doing bouncing souls we're doing hot water music and we're like well those are cool bands um the thing about rise is they had been like mega successful with a ton of awful <laughs> fucking bands, yeah. you know, like screamo, fucking, like just, I don't, the new metal kind of, yeah, like yeah, just, yeah. but, you know, they still had like their punk roots, and they're like, hey, we have all this, all these resources now, like let's throw some of it at these punk bands, and so, yeah, we did, we did that one record. They hired Bill Stevenson to produce, like, like the most money by far we ever spent on a record or promotion and and that record like started showing up on like a few of the billboard charts and stuff and we we're like holy shit this is you know something's happening mm-hmm. um it did help us i think like a different group of people kind of caught wind yeah. of our band that way and and the same <laughs> for <coughs> We were doing, you know, like Warp Tour around then, and we were like, "Well, we got this punk club thing figured out. Like, let's let's go to Warp Tour. Let's go to Rise Records. Let's see, like, who else, you know, might like what we did." And and I'll tell you, like, we put out some music videos with Rise, and the comments would just be like fucking pissed off, like emo or screamo kids, <laughs> just to, like guess anybody can get signed to Rise Records these days, like blah, blah, blah. and like, and then it would be like some fucking punks who were like, "You kids have no idea." This is like, the, and we just thought it was hilarious, and you know, obviously, you know, we didn't become the next like Memphis May Fire or whatever ginormous fucking band is on Rise, but like we did grow like some, and mm. and then after. 
after we did that one record, we were kind of like, well, now what, you know? I, I think we kind of felt like we had achieved what we were going to achieve with Rise, and and the natural steps seemed to go kind of back home where we'd always been most comfortable. Did Rise come forward and say, we want we want to put out another album? And was yeah. It like a conscious decision? We were, we were talking to Rise yeah. about doing another record. Initially, they wanted us to sign a multi-record deal, and... You know, Rise was the first time there was ever any real paperwork mm. involved. Like, the whole time on Red Scare and Fat Records, it was never, like, none of us signed anything. And so Rise coming with, like, these huge contracts, like, we got nervous, had our lawyers look it over. And, and so when we did that one record, we were like, we're really only comfortable yeah. signing for one. And then, yeah, when we were talking about the second one, it was just kind of... Yeah, it just made sense to... We did what we wanted to do, and we'll go. Well, tragically, at that time, the, 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 um, your, your former drummer uh, passed away. And were Rise cool with that? Because obviously, when you sign to a band, you put an album, they expect you to tour, tour, tour. And yeah. obviously, when something horrendous happens like that, you got to put family first. Absolutely. Were, 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 the, were the label okay with that? Were they quite no, supportive? No, they, they yeah. were incredibly supportive. I mean, they all called us, you know... Like, the old owner, Craig, from Rise Records, like, our buddy, like, you know, and, and for what it's worth, before Brandon passed away, like, we toured our asses off on that record, Tales from Wyoming, you know, like, we, I think, did our part to to support the record and and do it, and, you know, I think it also played into kind of our decision to go back to Fat, we're after Brandon passed away, it was this other sort of like, we got to make sure that we're having fun, you know? Yeah. And that, like, the business aspect is one aspect, but, like, far, far more important than that. Like, are we enjoying ourselves? Are we, like, like are our hearts full? Or are, are we really having fun? And, and yeah. Was there any serious point about you, you, you were having a chat and going, we're done like we're not doing this oh no um maybe for like an hour and, and me and Ray were talking and finally Ray looked at me and he's like you know man we lost Brandon like you know Brandon was like my best friend like he was like my older brother like after my sister died like Ray and Brandon you know and I was like we lost our brother like do do we want to lose our band too and we we're like fuck no <laughs> So when you are a band and you sign to Rise and you go back to Fat, what is the process of making that next jump 
like you're trying to get bigger you're trying to push harder like how how difficult is it or is that just a, a difficult question you can never answer I mean, at this point, we've kind of seen, like, both sides, well, it's probably more than two sides, but, like, a lot of different, like, angles, and, and we've seen, like, the old school, like, get in the van and, like, work your ass off, which I think is how we mostly built our band. We've seen the, like, here's this ginormous Sony-backed corporation throwing all this money at ads, like, let's see, let's see, and, you know... I think at this point it's like the band I don't know if we'll necessarily ever have that like boom all of a sudden this one single sells like 10 million copies you know but one thing about our band is it's always it's always been like growing yeah. a little bit and at this point we're kind of like you know what let's just make our next record fucking our best record and and we'll tour, and we'll play better than we've ever played. Yeah. And that'll be it. That's our marketing plan. So you, you then put out Stealing the Covers yeah. of, of, of really obscure bands that, you, that most people might not have heard of. Why did you get down that route? Why didn't you go for like the full Meatloaf, Battle of the Hell cover yeah. kind of thing? <laughs> it, was, it was Brandon's idea, and it was something that we'd been talking about for a lot of years, you know? We're like, we play with a lot, lot, lot of fucking bands. A lot of them are awful, but, like, every once in a while, there's just this, like, gem of, like, holy shit, this band fucking rules, mm. and nobody knows who they are. And so it was, we need to, like, do our part and, and try and try and get their names out, like, if we can. And sometimes it doesn't always make sense to take them on tour, you know? Like, you know, we... We take out a lot of small bands and try and give them exposure that way, but you know you can't always do that. So this for us was a way of like, here's a handful of our favorites, like yeah. check them out. So Stay Rad just came out, and you've literally just also put out a split as well. Yeah. Why did you decide to do both so close together? Was it just like we just got so much music, we just want to <laughs> fucking put it out there? It was like the uh, the seven inch was more it's kind of like a family thing yeah if if it makes much sense um so when we were writing for stay rad ray wrote the song called everything to me about his son milo which ended up being like the first single off of stay rad and i wrote a song about my my baby daughter called olivia goes to bolivia and it was just kind of this like this joke about like what if my daughter was just going on like these adventures like kicking ass and you know like eating candy you know and uh that song didn't end up making it on stay rad so we just kind of kept it for a b-side and meanwhile while we were at the studio ray's son milo was just hanging out and and he's had a band for a while um, one man band, but you know he like he writes songs with his dad and and they demo them at his house and they call the band Human Robots and and we're like man we have some extra time why don't we just put Milo in there and let him record a couple of Human Robots songs and and so he did and and we we're like we kind of have this like family thing like here's a song Ray wrote for Milo here's a song I wrote for Olivia and and here's Milo's band like why not. Why do it put it yeah, out yeah, yeah. yeah it's fucking cool right yeah, it's man. like you know I don't think 
I don't think it's going to be like a multi-platinum like bestseller or anything either. But again, like we're having like so much fun with it, like so much fun. Like when my daughter's a little older and can like understand, like, hey, that's that's a cartoon you on the cover of this record. Like, it's pretty fucking cool, isn't it? Yeah, man, that's amazing. It's something that like you can hang, and it's something that then, then when she gets older, she can give to her children. If she has children. Like, it's fucking amazing, man. That's really sweet. Um, so what? Last question, because I know we're taking up a bit of your time. Here, but that's good. What? what else do you want to achieve with this band like do you feel like you're done like we're quite happy to coast now or are you like no we still gotta keep going man we still gotta reach for that stuff <laughs> um I don't know if I have anything specific but it, but I am thinking back to a few weeks ago we were, we were playing with our buddies uh Red City Radio and and before the show Garrett was like smoking this huge joint and he's like you guys want any and we're like nah man and Ray's like, I'm here to put on a fucking rock show. I know you're here to, like, vibe with the crowd and stuff, man. I'm here to fucking murder. And I was like, I was like, yes, that's, like, the perfect, like, mentality. Like, I just want to, like, put out our best records and, and be the best fucking live band and just, like, always, always just strive to be better. Yeah. You know, like, I hope that, you know... 10 or 20 years from now people aren't watching us and being like oh man those those old fat guys are tired you know I hope that the people are like they're better than they've ever fucking been yeah. and like I think descendants are like that and I I want for that to be like our legacy like yeah it's interesting you say that because I um, so I was interviewing Zach talking about like being that young band who, who are like touring and supporting like the older bands and I was like do you look at them and go oh I don't want to slow down because he, he's very like animated and throws himself into it and he was like when I'm playing and he basically said like when I'm playing with the Descendants like I don't realise I'm slowing down because those guys are fucking still throwing himself around it's so great but when, like, when you do have younger bands like uh, Pears playing today you do go fucking hell kid like <laughs> calm you like, those knees are not going to last forever <laughs> yeah that's part of it too I'm like you know we're like the middle aged band or whatever I'm like, I want to fucking fuck up the young kids too. Like, I want like I want the old guys and the young ones, and like everyone who sees our band to be like, holy shit! Yeah. Like, teenage Barack, fuck, you know. And Perfect. So far, so good. Thanks for your time, dude. It's absolutely, a dude. Thank you for having me. My pleasure, man. And uh, have you had a chance to go and have a little skate yet? Have you bought your board? I don't know, man. I don't, I don't skate anymore. I fucking. <laughs> <laughs> I'm t- I'm talking about never growing older. Ray still skates. Yeah. But yeah, man. I was like a little bit of a skate guy in like junior high, early high school and then like bikes took me away. And then drugs and alcohol took me away from home. <laughs> and now I'm a yoga guy. Mate. Like yeah. I've just started doing yoga, I must admit. And I cuz I'm long, is something that as I got older, I'm worried about like like getting stiff. Yeah. So I've started doing yoga, and like my first two sessions, oh my, I've never felt pain like it in my <laughs> life. I couldn't fucking sit to have a shit. That's how bad <laughs> it felt. So, but now I'm starting to feel like the benefits of it. It's oh, absolutely. Decent, man, it's, it's an amazing, amazing thing. Yeah. Well, let's leave on that positive message. Thank oh. you again, man. Yeah, man. Thank All you. Circle K
you so much to Miguel for giving up his time to talk to me. If you want to know more about Miguel and his yoga, like I said, he does a self-help email. If you're interested in that, there is a link to that in his program description. Also, don't forget to go and help the band as a whole because at this point in time, they can't do essentially the only thing they know what to do and that is to play fucking great shows. So go to Fat and go buy some of their merch. Uh, thank you so much to The Awkwards as well for sponsoring this week's podcast again make sure you go check out their work a link for the awkwards is in the program description of this podcast right i'm off hug the ones you love know that you can do anything as long as you put your mind to it i love you and i'll see you soon bye-bye shut up and get now it's time to skate or die